Support for Silicon Slopes comes from Harmon's Neighborhood Grocer, where food lovers can take cooking classes to learn knife handling, wine pairing, sushi rolling, and fresh pasta preparation. Locations can be found at harmonsgrocery.com. Harmon's, your food, our passion. And now, let's podcast. So we're really bogged down with an inefficient tax dollar going to the federal government. We're picking up the pieces at the lower level. Welcome to the Silicon Slopes Podcast. My name is Clint Betts. Today's guest is Salt Lake County Councilwoman and candidate for the United States Senate, Jenny Wilson. A fifth-generation Utah, Jenny Wilson is serving her second six-year term on the Salt Lake City Council. In 2005, she became the first woman elected to the council, where she has led a number of policy initiatives, including ethics reform, government efficiency, criminal justice reform, and open space preservation. She was a co-founder of the Jordan River Commission. Wilson has experience at all levels of government, having served as a press secretary to United States Representative Lessa Coyne and as chief of staff to United States Representative Bill Orton, a Blue Dog Democrat from Utah. She also served as an aide to the Utah State Legislator and was a candidate for Salt Lake City Mayor in 2007. We had a wide-ranging conversation on all sorts of different issues. Take a listen. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, I'm really happy to be here. We also have Meg here. Hi. Before we get started on all the issues and your campaign and and, uh, everything, tell us about you. Well, I am currently a member of the Salt Lake County Council. I'm in my second six-year term. Uh, I'm married to a person in technology, and I think my most important title is mother. I've got two little boys, and um, I've been involved in politics most of my life. I grew up with it. My dad is the former mayor of Salt Lake City. His name's Ted Wilson. Mm. He was mayor from 1976 to the mid-'80s, and I sort of got thrown into it, not by choice. And I just have these fond memories, though, of Salt Lake City when it was very different, smaller, and going with him to places along with my brothers and sisters. I was lucky enough to go to... Milwaukee, Wisconsin in the 70s and meet President Jimmy Carter. Really? Yeah. And then um, I remember as a child going to events as diverse as meeting like an LDS prophet and then the next day going into inner city downtown and being exposed to children who were in need. And I just have this great memory of Salt Lake. And then he ran for office statewide. He ran against Orrin Hatch in 1982 and he ran for governor in 1988. So I have these great memories of the state back from those days of touring and kind of doing what I am now. And then I went on in my political life. I got an East High degree from the University of Utah in communications. I moved to Washington, D.C., and I ultimately became the chief of staff to Bill Orton, who was a member of Congress for six years. And I worked for him for four of those six And he represented this area where we are right now, Utah County, some rural areas. There were three congressional districts back then, and he was one of the three. And really enjoyed that. And that's where I learned the ins and outs of Congress and was really committed to his vision and worked very well with him. 
Then I ended up going to graduate school, got a degree from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, and came home and met my husband. Well, I didn't meet my husband. I knew him from high school. (laughs) We were reintroduced in our 30s, and at that point, we got married, had kids. I ran for the county council. I've done a number of other things, including working at the Olympic Games. So should Mitt Romney get the Republican nomination and I get the Democratic, we'll I'll be able to work with my former boss or run against my former boss, I should say. <laughs> That's great. So how's the campaign going? I love campaigning. I mean, it's a journey because I started actually almost a year ago and I declared formally, I think, last summer. But you're starting a small business. So it's reaching out to your contacts and saying, will you support me? You've got to file with the Federal Elections Commission, set up an organization, get your digital going, figure out where and how you're going to bring money in the door, build a new staff team. So I've been at this a long time, and it's starting to really feel real because last night was caucus night. So we're getting to traditional campaigning finally, which is great. I hope this isn't an insensitive question, but you are running as a Democrat against Mitt Romney. What are your hopes for this campaign? Well, I entered the race as a Democrat, recognizing we haven't elected a statewide Democrat since the 90s. But this is a different year. Donald Trump is not your typical president. The women's movement of this era, because we've had a lot of women's movements over time, we know that. Back to Martha Hughes Cannon from Utah, who was the first woman elected to the state Senate in the suffrage era, and from Utah, of course, and a polygamist, and she beat her own husband. So Women speaking up and you does nothing new. But, you know, Me Too movement from Hollywood to politics to everything else, it's just turned everything upside down. And I know one of the missions of Silicon Slopes is diversity. And I know our state desperately needs to show the world how diverse we are. So I think one of my objectives is just be authentic, be honest, be who I am, not run from the Democratic Party, because I'm not going to, especially when you look at the mess that the Republican Party is providing us all right now. And I have great Republican friends and colleagues. So I entered this thinking, this isn't typical. And I'm 52 years old. I don't want to run every six years. I love my life. I've got great kids. I've got a great life. I love my council job. I love Salt Lake County. But I know this state. And I really did not want in this era of change and this really volatile time to let Donald Trump go unchecked, to not have a voice in this process. And I really think what I can bring to the table is a conversation we don't always hear. I mean, I'm kind of tired of the governor and the economic development team talking about how great the state is. We are. Say it. But also remind people that we have negative job growth happening throughout many of our counties, that I work on jail issues. Our jails are unfortunately detox centers as we bring people in arrested for the opioid crisis. We don't have enough money for treatment. We don't have access to health care in our rural areas. So I think when you have one party rule, you're going to have abuses. And that is what we have in the state. So yeah, I run to win. I take things seriously. I build a team. I work hard. I don't back down. I'm not backing down against anybody. I wouldn't back down against Orrin Hatch. And I'm certainly not going to against Mitt Romney. And I think that's refreshing. I think we're asking for that right now. I think people are tired of Washington. And frankly, they need to start asking some questions if we want our quality of life, as as I knew it as a child in Salt Lake City and others of my era, 
remember the day, and I want my children to have that quality of life and future generations to have it, then we have to start asking tough questions, and we have to be more frank, I believe, and be willing to take on our failures as we celebrate our successes. What are our failures? High suicide rate, one of the highest opioid use rates in the nation. We're not sensitive to people who are different, that don't fit the mold in this state always. And I've seen it with my fellow electeds, not that they do it directly, but just engaging in what's going on in their communities. And I think that we have seen far too much division at the national level and to a certain degree at the local level, too. But I'm proud of the work the Democrats have done in our legislature. Patrice Arendt, a friend of mine and a good legislator, has been fighting for air quality a long time. And you know what? She was sort of brushed aside. And once in a while, the Republicans would let her move a bill. Well, now everyone's saying, yeah, we need to do something. Because your members and our community and our health, you know, your members are saying, yeah, hello, we're recruiting and we want to breathe and we care about our children. So I just feel like we need to get back to the early years where I was shadowing my father when he wasn't elected. We had balance in government. We had a Democratic Governor Matheson in Rampton. And my dad was a Democrat from Salt Lake. And the Republicans and the Democrats worked together to solve problems. I should note on my county council, We do that. We have five Republicans, four Democrats. And so we have to work across party lines. And interestingly, and I don't know if it's by coincidence, but the Democrats tend to be pretty well aligned on most things. And the Republicans tend to be fairly divided. So for the Democrats, we can build coalitions across party lines. And, you know, we all can get a little um, set in our ways, all nine of our county council members, but we are still respectfully each other and really understand that that diverse kind of conversation is what good public policy is all about. You know something I've never really understood, speaking of like this Democrat-Republican thing, is why, and I think this might be something like a lot of people my age, like I don't know, any none of my friends are associated with a party or people I like, is, you know what I mean? And in the tech community, I don't even know what anybody's political affiliation is, right? It never comes up. It's not like a thing. It seems like what is your take on political <laughs> parties just in general, right? It, it seems to promote tribalism. It seems to promote like this us versus them thing rather than uh, a platform of just like solving issues and solving people's problems, right? It puts everybody in a box. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think most people in Utah identify as independents, really. Um, we tend to be a very heavily Republican state, but there are very large number who identify as independents and fewer who identify as Democrats. But, you know, it's a system we have. I think it's going to take a while, and maybe it is younger generations, the generations to come, that are going to really, I hope, break that up. But we still have power kind of concentrated within the party You have systems. to have a party in order to run. Yeah, you yeah. can't. I mean, I know there's a new party that emerged, but they're not running as independents, the United Party. So it's a party. It's a moderate party. Like a but moderate it's a Republican party. Yeah. But it's party. So we work through partisan systems. So you kind of have to pick. Yeah. I do think with technology, communications being different, our workforce changing, that it's possible that over time the systems aren't as rigid. Our Democratic Party tries to be a big tent party. And I don't think I'm seeing that on the Republican side. You're seeing really intense debates right now. And I think the Tea Party movement, the very, very far right, has a lot of power. And that's what has led to all these discussions and battles over the count my vote, the different methods to get to nomination. The moderates want more direct ballot through the signatures and the primary and then 
that's really showing the division within that party. I had one of the most fascinating and heartbreaking interviews I've ever had on this podcast yesterday. We haven't published it yet, but maybe by the time this is published, we will have with Encircle's executive director, Stephanie Larson, uh, down there in Provo. They're this, uh, you've, you've probably heard of Encircle. They're that house that's right across the street from the temple that is trying to combat this, which you, which you brought up a little bit, is this problem we have in Utah where LGBTQ uh, young adults, which is like between 12 and 17 years old, are committing suicide at four times the rate of the national average in, in the country. So it's a real problem. It's a real problem. It's like a health epidemic. I mean, it's an epidemic in every uh, sense of the word, and in, in particular Utah County. And the work that she's doing and that organization is doing, it's just unbelievable, right, to put something right there in the, in the heart of Utah County uh, that says that we're here for the, those kids. But how do we and how would uh, you as, as a United States senator combat that? Well, I really believe to transform our broken Congress, we have to have people who come from the community who know these issues. I mean, what you're describing, I fully understand. We have similar issues, of course, in Salt Lake County, a very populated county. And there's no easy solution. It takes partnerships. It takes investment. And I really feel that our continuum from the federal government down to local is quite broken, that the federal government is bloated and the systems aren't working and the division in Congress is creating no real budget process anymore where priorities can rise to the top. And then when things do move, there tend to be the president's priorities or leadership. And so we're really bogged down with an inefficient tax dollar going to the federal government. And so we're picking up the pieces at the lower level. And what I really do a lot of work on, and I'm very invested in the opioid crisis and trying to find solutions. And I think it's true of this challenge as well with teen suicide and many of those youth being LGBTQ. I think that we really just need to get to getting the continuum to work better. And I think that's a goal of younger generations. I mean, the Senate is an old boys club. It just is. Go look at the numbers, look at the age, look at the orange hatches out there. And they did their thing. And I'm not saying that everything that was done by that body in the past has been bad, but I remember the day where Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy forged a coalition for children's health insurance. Well, there is a real community impact deal. That provides health care for kids that whose parents don't qualify for Medicaid. Medicaid, you have to be extremely poor. If you're working, you're not going to qualify. And even a job in a convenience store, you're not going to qualify for Medicaid for your family. So it covers the working poor's children. Mm. And so that's what that program did. Well, that's an example of what Congress needs to do again, and we're not doing it. So what I bring to the table is an understanding of the social safety net that you've described with this organization in Provo, how local government can connect with them at the city level and then the county level, and then the state level, and then the federal level. And we need that continuum to work. So I'm going to sound like a Democrat back there when I say we're going to go and we're going to figure out how to fund programs that work, like children's health insurance. And that kind of takes me to the Affordable Care Act. I couldn't have been literally more shocked and alarmed that we would just throw it out on a vote, very, very political, and not understand that 
you know, I had objections to certain things in it. It was a compromise. So in the end, I think we go into something in good faith to say, okay, this is passed. There was a consensus of Congress. Let's see what needs to be tweaked. I do that on my county council when we pass a policy. We could bring something back and say, look, we've realized there was an unintended consequence. Let's fix it. That's what we should be doing on the Affordable Care Act rather than kick thousands and thousands of Utahns out the door with no coverage. Same is true of what was provided within it for Medicaid expansion. I would say that's the biggest policy failure of my time as an elected official was the state's refusal to expand Medicaid. Because had we done that, we would have had revenue coming in that we already pay for. Just going to states that say, yes, we will take the money. There was a sliding scale down from 100% to 90% covered to 80. Well, we're paying for our 20% now anyway, because the state just funded homelessness issues and treatment and all of that in this bill. So we're double taxed for all the conservatives listening. We are double taxing you because our money is going to Medicaid expansion states. All the while, that funding can be provided to people coming out of jail who go back in. There's no easy fix to the fact that most of the people in our jails throughout the state are there for mental health reasons or substance abuse or both. So it's just hard, like literal funding. And we can choose. Do we want to lose the spirit of our community, lose more people, continue to go down the road of not funding these? Or are we just going to have to figure out how to do it? Do we like it? No. It's not easy. But it would be so much better to invest in education, to invest in quality health care for all, to find a way to cover these things from day one, preventative medicine. We're not doing that. So those are the types of things that I bring to the table. I know D.C., when I was first elected to the Salt Lake County Council, as a woman, the only woman on the council, eight guys and me, I felt like I had to be the smartest person in the room. So I had this big binder with little tabs and highlighters of different colors. And I I was pretty smart when I walked in the room every Tuesday because I was spending 10, 12 hours preparing. I still take it very seriously, and I've learned over time But I've also realized politics is about relationships and about mutual understanding and consensus-driven politics and policies. And so what I bring to the table as a U.S. senator is someone who knows D.C., knows his state, has worked on the ground. I'm at an age where I could serve three terms. And all of those things are very different than a Mitt Romney candidacy. And again, I like him. I worked with him. But I think our state desperately needs a common-sense Democrat who brings to the table what I've just described, who can forge those coalitions. And frankly, if I'm elected, the first thing I'll do is reach out to Mia Love, if she's still there and she hasn't been defeated, and reach out to Senator Mike Lee and try and find common ground for the state of Utah. And that's really what I bring to the table. I think we miss having a Democratic voice to the Democratic side of the aisle in this state. To the Republicans listening to this podcast, We're not going to take over, right? I mean, there's a chance that Ben McAdams could enter the House if that race goes his way. If I'm elected to the U.S. Senate, that's two of six. So there's no fear that we're going to have, if anyone's nervous about some liberal agenda, it's just not going to happen. And anyone who's worked with me knows I'm willing to say no. I am very driven towards 
Common Sense Solutions. I actually had an opportunity to meet Chuck Schumer. I actually think he's a pretty good guy. And interestingly, he was very interested in the LDS Church. He shared some stories about his college days with some LDS people. He was very, very interested in Utah, and it was very genuine. And I kind of was joking around like, well, you know, I'm from the state of Utah. When I join you, I, you know, I'm going to challenge you. And he gets that. So I'm not going to go as a Democrat to serve the Democratic Party, though, I, you know, I'm, like I've said, I believe in many of the policies. And I align with the Democratic Party because I think it has been a party of fairness and compassion. And those were the principles I was taught. And I feel good about that. But I'm also willing to, to understand, like you were pointing out, people are independents. People didn't have to follow the path I followed within a party and see it both ways. I hear that all the time. You mentioned that the Senate is a boys club. So if elected, how do you plan to make your voice heard? Well, I think there are 21 women now. So I think there'll be some more elected to the Senate, perhaps. So maybe we're at 25%. Could that be possible to get 25% of 100 members? That would be great. I don't think I would go to the Senate and act any differently than I do in my county council life, which is just show up, do my work. But I think, you know, I've sat in several discussions and policy meetings and such with talking about how we need more women to serve in executive positions. And I'm not sure of the tech community, what the percentage is compared to general corporations, but we need more women in leadership positions. So I think just by being there, and one of the things that keeps me going in a long campaign is young women come up to me and say, thank you for running. And I feel like just to be a voice out there as a woman seeking office, serving in office now is part of the point. And I think as a mother, I may have a little bit different perspective. It's hard to say because I've got a great husband who is an equal partner. And I think that I don't want to discredit any good dad out there or anyone. But I think I do have this sense of the one who's always managing the household. And he's a great contributor. But I'm the one doing the schedule, figuring it out. Who's doing the pickup? Are we running carpool? What's going on? So I think with that focus on the family, I think I have a really good perspective of what the needs are. I want to go and represent families from the state of Utah. And I think as a mother, I bring just a little bit different perspective, maybe. What do you think families in the state of Utah need? I think families need security and they need help and they need opportunity. And many families do well in this state, but we've seen in the state and in the nation this income inequality that, and I'm not a fan of the tax bill. I think it had passed uh, right before the holiday. I don't think that families benefit. When you really pencil it out, whether you do it on your own or you have a tax provider do it for you, there's going to be very little given back to families, and we're going to pay for it with a $1.5 trillion deficit increase. We pay for that over time because our services will go down or the amount of debt creates a burden on our federal government in terms of the rates that we get for the money we pay to China. So it ends up being a disadvantage to us that trickles down to us directly. But fundamentally, it's health, security. I know, especially as a candidate now, as I move around, I talk to people about their concerns, how deeply the opioid crisis is affecting families and our communities. I know people are having a hard time with their aging parents and their children and just trying to make it. And I go in seeking to bring a voice to them. So when you declared... uh 
about a year ago now, uh, you were running against Orrin Hatch. And there were polls that had you up by, public polls had you up by like double digits. Yeah. And then he decided not to run and Mitt Romney right. decided to run. How surprised were you that Mitt decided to jump in? I just thought, I tried to put myself in his head, what's in it for him? He's a well-known national figure, having run for president twice, relatively new as a resident to the state of Utah. A lot of grandkids, beautiful family, great wife who has some health issues that they've been very public about. And I just kind of thought, what would be in it for him? And it just didn't make sense to me. So I didn't really think it would happen. I know the one thing about Mitt that I remember well from the games is he really is a guy who likes to stay busy. So I think this age and his career, this, you know, kind of sunset for most people in their careers, I think he just really wants to, he's vibrant and wants to remain relevant. I just would have thought that there's a cost to it. And, you know, if I am not successful, I don't see myself like emotional the day after. And I've lost her. I lost a major race for mayor of Salt Lake City. And I was quite emotional after. I mean, I'd put so much into that. And I was the lead candidate. And I was ready and prepared to be mayor of Salt Lake City. And it didn't turn out my way. It just didn't go my way. So fair enough. But this race, not so much, because I know how hard it is. And so that's why I was sort of like, okay, I really believe in this idea that we have to turn over this Senate to a new generation. And I want more diversity in the state. And Mitt checks the box of what we already have. So, yes, I was surprised. So Mitt's got like 19 candidates going up against mm-hmm. him on the Republican side. How many are vying for the Democratic I have three challengers. So you have three. And so you you both have conventions coming up. You're both the, the two front runners. There's no question about that. So assuming you come out and assuming uh, he comes out, which I think both are good assumptions, but what do I know? What would you like your conversations and debates in that campaign when it's you and Mitt out there on the trail? And you'll see him in a debate or two, assuming both of you get out. What would you like that conversation to be about? Well, I don't want it to be about fluff, and I don't want it to be about labels. So I will not be following, you know, some Democratic talking point against Mitt Romney. I want to talk about the opioid crisis. I want to talk about health. I want to talk about the tax bill and the issues we've been discussing, and I'm hoping he will. When Mitt left the games, he actually was running for governor of Massachusetts. He didn't stay for the Paralympics, which were like five, six days to a week after the Olympic Games ended. The Paralympics were sponsored by. And Mitt had a really quick turnaround to get nominated by the Republican Party. So we said goodbye, off he went. And I kind of watched his political evolution because I knew the guy, right? I'd worked with him. I liked him. And he ended up moving way too far to the right for my comfort as somebody who's, you know, been a Democrat and been involved in politics in Utah. And that happened, though, after he was governor. So, he, so you know, I was watching him as governor and thinking, oh, this is interesting. And then when he became a presidential candidate, he moved to the right. And we just haven't seen consistency with his positions. And I think he has to own that. He was pro-choice and then he became pro-life. He signed an assault weapon ban as governor of Massachusetts and now he courts the NRA. Um, he was very, very the most active anti-Trump voice on the Republican side. And it's almost like 
memorable, that, you know, the big event on campus and that blistering speech that was going to take down the Trump candidacy. And now he welcomes Trump and has said great things as recently as a week ago out campaigning. So I'm confused by that. And I don't disrespect him, but I'd like some clarification. And I think the public deserves that. I have worked with the media over the years in various capacities when I was a junior staffer, and I don't understand the coronation right now. Like one of the Republican candidates, I think it was actually one who ended up not filing against him, said, we deserve a conversation, not a coronation. And most media outlets are giving Mitt Romney a coronation because he has this having run for president twice and, you know, been a key force in a successful game, so I'm not going to take that away from him. But he has become, you know, bigger than life here. But that doesn't mean this is the best job for him at this moment in time. And so that's what I want to bring to the table is a real conversation. And I will do my best and we'll see where we go. I don't know. Haven't gotten that far yet. I look forward to those conversations. Thank you. What do you think of this inland port thing that I believe Herbert has signed it now, Governor Herbert? It passed through the legislature. Pretty, pretty controversial. Probably one of the more controversial things that came out of the legislative session this year. What's your take on it? Can, can we maybe explain what it is for maybe someone in the room who doesn't totally understand yeah, and what it is? Yeah, and maybe set it up. Like, what, what sure. is this inland so, port thing? And, and this is something that's been brewing between the governor and the economic development team. And I'm not an expert in it by any means, but I, I know the general concept, which is that we have really good transportation infrastructure for commerce because of our interstate and we're not that far in terms of hours driven from the coast. So the idea is that we put in a new economic development driver in the northwest quadrant of Salt Lake City near the airport on that undeveloped land and that it be related to the shipping and movement of goods and that it be kind of this hub. And that's a good concept. I'm not, again, an expert, and I haven't been privy to a lot of the conversations, which is part of the point, by the way, of that will when we get to my concerns. But um, in any event, the it, this concept had been brewing, and the city, I think, had Salt Lake City had been generally involved in the conversation. And what I what I've been told by council members generally favored the idea that we would explore this and move forward. But 11th hour decision at the legislature, a bill moved that took all of the revenue and kept it within – that would be generated um, through taxes and – would you know, we're talking about millions and millions over time – and kept all of that revenue generated within the area itself, um, leaving Salt Lake City to service it with public services, with building out the infrastructure for this to happen – policing of the area, fire protection, all of that, with no revenue. Well, I'm a Salt Lake City resident, so that would triple my taxes alone, I would guess, to cover the cost of that or double them perhaps. But in any event, this bill moved and all of the revenue was kept within. So what we typically do with taxes that are flowing in with the typical breakdown is the school district gets a percentage the city gets a percentage and the county gets a percentage. And then there's state sales tax or whatever that would create to, to provide the benefit back to the state. Zero was given back in this bill. So that it's just completely unacceptable for two reasons. That formula makes no sense whatsoever 
And then there it was really a land grab because the city, they basically ate up a quarter of the city by one act of the legislature then signed by the governor late in the session. And it left the city completely taken aback, trying to figure out what to do. And it affects the county. So as a county elected, I have, have concerns. Now, I do think we can work through it. The governor said he would hold a session. I don't think he should have signed the bill. I think we should have gone back with a bill unsigned and revisited. And it, we work quite often city to county to state to figure out solutions involving GOED, the governor's office of economic development, or the governor's office himself, et cetera, to make these things work. But nothing of this magnitude has been done in such an abrupt manner. And it was a complete land grab, and it wasn't in any way logical. So we do need to fix it. And then I know that there's personality politics at play. So that's part of the problem is I think we need to have elected officials willing to compromise and come to the table and come to the table in good faith across the board. It's an interesting world up there, Capitol Hill. Right. And my next question is going to touch on that a little bit with these legislators. And, and uh, do they understand Utahns? You know, like, are they out of touch in, in some ways? Do you think like any uh, group of people who would put together like this crazy YouTube video on the suspect <laughs> of? Right. Right. Just generally. Right? Yeah. Which is half joking and half not because it's, right. it's, it's in some ways it's just kind of embarrassing. Um but there, and the reason why I ask this is you had that Our Schools Now initiative that the legislator was, was – it seemed to me, again, what do I know, but from reports from the media and things like that, that there was an attempt to uh, kind of just go around that so, so that didn't matter and the legislator would decide that. And they, they came to some sort of compromise. I don't even know if it's a good compromise. Um, but – Do they understand what's happening on the ground? It does seem like, and we we as as an organization, Silicon Sauce was up there a few times during the session, and and it does seem like there is a bit of a disconnect, which might just happen generally if you're a politician and an elected official, that disconnect occurs. But what's your take on, forget the executive branch for a second, just just the legislature in this state and uh, kind of their performance this past session and their ability to understand what's happening uh, with everyday Utahns? I think there's a disconnect completely between everyday Utahns and our legislature. I don't, And I know many legislators, the ones that I know are wonderful people, but as a whole, they're not reflecting the diversity within the state of Utah, nor the voice. And not that what I'm asking for is that we have a proportional exact representation of the diversity. But we need to have people that represent these communities. And some of the champions up there have done amazing things. And they happen to be my Democratic friends, and they happen to be women. Like I look at Angela Romero, who I was on the phone with yesterday. She represents a section of Salt Lake City. She's Latina. She's got a strong voice. And she's been talking about issues that are really, really important to Utah, sex trafficking, I mean, who would have thought we actually have a – it's affecting young women in our state, believe it or not. It's an issue my sister who worked for Sean Reyes until recently and was his chief of staff, our attorney general, and a Republican. So we had Angela, Democrat, my sister working along with Sean Reyes on these issues, and they're real to Utah. We have issues with domestic violence, very, very pervasive and a, a major concern, and Angela has taken those on. And Luz Robles, another Latina leader, she asked 
the legislature to approve a workforce gender study, had it funded through, I can't remember which of our schools, our higher ed institutions was going to fund that, and they denied her. So that in itself shows me the lack of understanding of what our citizenry expects and wants. And when we do things that um, are politically driven without understanding the, the consequences to a family, it, it, it's illogical and I'm baffled by it. And I think the best thing we can do as citizens is look at our legislators, look at their record, and really question um, their motivations and what they and really make sure that what we're getting is, is really what we what we need as citizens because there is that disconnect and part of the problem we've already touched on and that's like sort of the partisanship both of both the Democratic Party and the Republican Republican Party's activists select officers as we did last night and that's great because it's grassroots politics but it sometimes is not reflective because it's hard for people to participate and it's almost like a barrier to entry um, these conventions and the delegate process even last night. And I actually think the Democratic Party can do much a much better job educating so that we get a broader group of people coming as well. And I think that the Republicans need that. So that's part of the problem. Well, it's 6 p.m. on a Tuesday night and there's a jazz game. Right. I mean, there's like a million other things that that's you, right. you could do. I mean, we, we do this as an organization. We, we hold over 200 events as an organization, right? And, it's, and we understand that it's our event or literally anything else you could possibly do right. during that time is what you're competing with. And, and I feel like these parties need to understand that in some way, right? That you need to make the barrier to entry. You need, you need to knock some of those barriers I down. completely agree. Right. Because the same with voting. Like we only vote on Tuesdays, I mean, which is a whole different thing. But. Yeah. So how are you feeling? You feel ready for the convention? You feel ready for this match with Romney? Yeah. I mean, we're... End of March, my convention, Democratic convention for the state is on April 28th. So the month of April is very much focused on reaching out within my party to get the nomination. And it's kind of fun. It's engaging, listening to Democrats, seeing what priorities are on their mind, sharing my policy positions. It's a lot of travel throughout the state because each county holds its own convention. So, um, you know, last week I was down in St. George, which is Washington County, and then up to Cedar City, Iron County, and then up through Beaver County, and then over to Richfield, Sevier County, and it's really fun. It's a lot of travel, and uh, we always do a couple of other stops other than just meeting with the Democrats just to kind of get a sense of the community, and I love that. So... A lot of travel, phone calls. I feel really positive that I'm in good shape to win on April 28th, but I don't take the process for granted at all, and we're working very hard. Well, thank you, Jenny, so much for coming on. Come back again once uh, this thing gets in full swing. We should host a debate between you and Mitt in here. Yeah, I'd love it. Okay, thanks very much for coming Thank on. you so much. I want to thank Jenny Wilson for coming on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Harmons. This episode was recorded inside the Silicon Slope studio and produced by our good friend Dave Meekum. Signing off for now, my name is Clint Betts, and this has been another episode of the Silicon Slopes podcast. Support for Silicon Slopes comes from Harmon's Neighborhood Grocer, where food lovers can take cooking classes to learn knife handling, 
wine pairing, sushi rolling, and fresh pasta preparation. Locations can be found at harmonsgrocery.com. Harmons, your food, our passion.